Hello again, everybody. It's good to be talking with a Saluki Hall of Famer this week, the former SIU quarterback, Joel Samberski. Nice enough to join us. Joel is a man of great depth, so this will actually be part one of two parts of Joel on this podcast. We'll talk football this week. We'll talk life after football next week and the great impact he's had on his family in this region, uh, serving on the board, and also uh, some of the struggles that his son, Teddy, have overcome over the course of the past couple years. But the on-the-field stuff first, 2001 to 2005, Joel was the Saluki quarterback. Things were a little bit rocky, talks of maybe cutting the football program, and Joel was one of the players that helped resurrect the program and keep it standing. Went on to have a Hall of Fame career, three playoff appearances under Joel. He held seven school records by the time he graduated, and a big pride point for him and many around the program is he was voted the toughest Saluki four consecutive years in a row, all four years that he started as the Southern quarterback. Let's get into it with Joel Samberski. Joel, it's it's always good to talk to you, and it's great to finally get you on here. Yeah, this is fun. This is gonna be good. I'm excited. How, how are you? Like, how are you holding up in the midst of all this? This is. I know that you you got me on here and we're going to talk a little SIU football back in the day. But when you think of people that are impacted by COVID and, you know, broadcasters doing live sports, I mean, there's just not a lot of it. So how's, how's Connor D onion doing in the midst of all this? Uh, I mean, there have been, there've been some hard days for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we had, such a crazy stretch of games right before COVID hit and shut everything down. It was, you know, it was what we call crossover season where men's and women's basketball, baseball, softball, they're all going at the same time. So we weren't really going a day without a game. Um, and then all of a sudden we've gone six months without a game. And, it, you know, a lot of this has just been trying to figure out what to do with my time. Uh, yeah. a, lot of it's, a lot of it's been this. It's, it's been nice to talk with people like you, and I think there's been an appetite to hear from people like you. So I'm hanging in there. Man, I, I appreciate – you do such a good job, and I appreciate the work you're doing. It's a, needed, it's a needed thing for not just athletics but for university, and you are, you are a big asset over there in the athletic department. So, um, so I'm glad that you're hanging in there. Yeah, well, that's nice of you to say. I appreciate that. Absolutely. I wanted to, you know, people in this region, I think, have a pretty good idea, you know, who you were when you were a Saluki, where you've gone and some of the things you've been up to since you've left. But I wanted to pull back the curtain a little bit on some of the early years in your life. Um, You know, how did you get involved in the game of football and what were some of your early sports memories? Yeah, you know, so I uh, have always – from the time I was a little kid, I had a ball in my hand, basketball, baseball, football. Um, if we were in season, I was doing it. So, um, and, and so I, I grew up in uh, a small town, not so small anymore. It's grown quite a bit, but it's Liberty, Missouri, just outside of Kansas city. And, um, uh, and so growing up there, um, was always playing sports, like I said, and, uh, with uh, I've got a younger brother who's superly uh, active in sports. I got an older brother. 
not as active in sports. He and I are kind of polar opposites. And then our, the youngest in the family is my sister. And so uh, my dad was a collegiate uh, wrestler uh, at Northwest Missouri State. And so we were just kind of always active. You know, I've got four kids now and my rule is I want them a little, I want them dirty. I want them sweaty, a little bloody at the end of every day. And if that's the case, they're doing good. And so um, we just kind of come from a super active family. And, um, and so really my football career started uh, at a small, uh, uh, what do they call Pee Wee league uh, football um, for the Neko Raiders. Uh, and uh, Neko is apparently like a coffee thing distributorship in, in Kansas city. And so I just know that I was like, I just told my dad, I was like, Hey, I really want to want to try out for, for this Neko Raider football team. They were like the, the big dogs in, in peewee league football at the time. And, and I remember we had four days of tryouts and I was, um, went through that and I was, they didn't even have a Jersey for me. So they just gave me like a really huge oversized, like shirt, which was just insufferable when it's a hundred degrees outside. I know I, the helmet didn't fit. The mouthpiece was, was four, four sizes too big. I just had a miserable sort of experience. Um, but somehow managed to make the team and my, uh, which was huge. And we all celebrated. We were excited. And every day uh, on the way to practice, my, my dad, uh, one of the, the neighborhood kids who also made the team would pick me up and I would just have to be outside on the curb at three o'clock or whenever for him to pick me up. And one day I just didn't show up. I was just, I, I hated it so much. Um, all the other kids had jerseys. I didn't. Um, it was too hot. I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't good at it. It was miserably, uh, just the whole thing was miserable and I didn't show up. And so that news got, so I didn't make it to practice and that news made it back to my pops. And, and he just said, Hey, you know, you went out for this team, you worked hard and you made the team. And after the end of the season, if you don't want to play anymore, that's fine. That's fine. Not everybody's going to play football, but you're not going to quit. And now I sit there and I just, I, I, I'll never forget that story. So I went back and I gutted it out. I ended up being the, they had an A team and a B team. Um, and I was the backup B team tight end. So, you know, I don't mean to disparage my, my tight end buddies out there, but like they're pretty important. The higher you move up in football, but like in little league, they are, they, they just, that's where they put the guy where they don't know where to put him. He's not fast. He's not necessarily slow. He doesn't have good. They, that's just where. So I was the backup on the B team tight end. And I just gutted it out for that year. And um, but what I found is as the year went on and the pads seemed um, a little bit more comfortable and I started to understand a few things, I started to really enjoy it. But I'm so thankful, obviously, looking back that my dad didn't just let me walk away and not do it. You brought up your dad a couple of times there. Your dad was a minister, right? Well, so he was super um, involved at the church that we grew up, but he wasn't like on staff. That wasn't his, that wasn't how he paid the bills. Um, and even to this day, he now um, at a different church, but he now he preaches on, on Sundays at a real small uh, church in, um, in Excelsior Springs, Missouri. Um, 
And, uh, and so that's what he's doing. But, but it wasn't like, that wasn't ever his job or his occupation. Okay. I, you know, I, I know it can go a couple of different ways. I grew up with uh, a parent as a minister. Um, oh, nice. So um, I, I know what it can be like kind of growing up in that realm. Was, was your dad, uh, you know, one of the, the stricter stickler types because he, he worked in that environment? You know, so I was never viewed, you know, and I don't know your experience. I'd love to hear it, but I was never viewed as necessarily the, the pastor's kid or, okay. or anything like that. And I think that's where the, 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 the potential maybe challenges can become uh, for kids. It would be my guess. Um, but we were super active in church. Um, he was super involved in it. And, um, and there's no doubt that that, that influence, that involvement, you know, kind of helped shape the person that I, that I am to this day. And so, um, but I think about like just my life and how it's evolved into me being here at Southern Illinois University, coming out on scholarship and all the things that have transpired since those Neko Raider Wee League football days. And I think, man, if my dad would have just let me say, you know what, you're right. They're not using you on the team. Uh, they don't even have a Jersey for you. I don't want you to, you know, you're not enjoying it. Just, just step away. It's fine. They're not going to miss you, which was all true. How different my life would be to this day. And so, um, you know, that's just one of many times that he and both and my mother as well had a big influence on my life. I want to get right into kind of the meat of your SIU playing career. You get to start as a freshman. How difficult was it to win over some of the older voices in that locker room being the guy right away. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's hard. And, um, you know, not to back up maybe to, to high school, but I did have some experience in that because I did, you know, so I went to Liberty high school and um, which was a really large high school. Uh, my graduating class, um, I want to say, I want to say it's like 1800 students or something like that. I can't, I can't recall exactly, but really big high school. And so I actually started as a, uh, uh, as a sophomore, which um, in Liberty, we had a junior high, which was eighth and ninth grade. And then we had our high school, which was 10th through 12th grade. And so to start as a sophomore, especially a quarterback at that school was kind of, I don't want to say unheard of, but it was, I, I, it was very rare. If it, it, it may have been the first time it happened. So being at SIU, I did have sort of an experience of having to win over guys in the locker room and do it fast and do it at a really young age. And, and my, my mom loves to tell the story of my first high school game that I started, um, I was 142 pounds. I mean, I was just tiny. And, um, and as I would run out onto the, the field uh, after the offense got the ball, um, literally I could hear laughs in the crowd. And it just because they, I mean, I was such a small chicken legged kid playing for this, this pretty good sized high school. Um, and my mom, people would say, you know, who, who is that? Like, who, who, there's no way that kid, why, why are they sending the kicker out there? Um, and so I think from an early age, I just had to kind of adapt and figure out, okay, how do I connect with these guys? How do I um, prove that I can be a leader? How do I um, 
build trust in these people and do it at an early age. And so, um, and I think that my time at, uh, in high school helped prepare me for that. Was it immediate or did it take a couple of weeks in training camp or a couple of games for you to feel like, all right, these guys trust me and these guys know I'm legit. I think, um, there are certain positions in football where you can have, you can gain kind of an immediate sort of trust, um, uh, where you're just so physically overwhelming. You just look like that guy can get it done. I did not have those attributes. Um, and it's, and, but I think even at the quarterback position, you know, you, you've got to prove yourself at the end of the day, to build trust, you got to do the right things off the field. You got to, you got to be a good, I think you got to be a good person. I think, you know, certainly you got to work hard, but everybody's working hard. When you get to, you know, division one football, everybody is working hard. And if they're not, then they're probably not around. So they're not a part of the discussion, but at the quarterback position, you got to, you win trust by proving that you can get the job done. At the end of the day, people, you know, they may love your personality. They may, they may uh, uh, think that you're a great player. They may respect you off the field because of how you carry yourself. But if you can't go and get the job done, you're not going to earn that trust. And so, um, so yeah, that's, you know, that's why when I think about early on, we had some pretty big wins early on where I think Coach Kill was able to, to show – hey, you know, like this guy knows how to get the job done. He knows how to win those big games. But I think for me personally, as a freshman, uh, I was also able to, to win some folks over by winning some big games. The 2002 Western Illinois win gets brought up a lot. You've, you've been asked about it a ton. You've talked about it publicly, privately. You know, a lot of people on that team have, I'm sure, a little bit of a different question about that game. You look back, you guys actually lost the next five games after that. Why well, is that? That's not true. That's not true. What, what, what was it then? Did I, did I miss? No, no, that's not. Yeah, no. We, we, the next week, we beat Northern Iowa by the widest margin in the history. So, in other words, it's the biggest loss differential or the biggest uh, margin of defeat in Northern Iowa's history at that time. Now, that might have changed. We smoked Northern Iowa. So we beat Western Illinois as number, I think, fifth in the country. Turned around on homecoming. Uh, no, on uh, – is well, it wasn't homecoming because Western Illinois is homecoming. Uh, beat Northern Iowa by its worst uh, – just smoked Northern Iowa. And, and then we lost uh, then it was, five. Okay. <laughs> then, it was, then it was five in yeah. a row. Yeah, then, and then we got – yeah. And then uh, we realized we weren't nearly as good as we thought we were. So <laughs> – so I'm I'm curious, just in hindsight, why does the Western win typically get talked about as this turning point moment, even though there wasn't kind of that snowball effect right after that, after the Northern Iowa game? Well, I think you have to put it in context of how when that game was played, how it was played, and what was the circumstances surrounding the program at that time. And so I was part of – Coach Kill's very first recruiting class. Um, so how I landed at Southern, it's it's kind of a little bit of a, a crazy story in itself. But Coach Kill comes in at a time where you have a stadium that is 
in some parts, literally crumbling. You have a football program that is um, um, being talked about being dropped. Um, and you have a group of guys that had been there that was were very um, – not, you know, I say like the juniors and the seniors were not very trusting of coaches because people had come through before, promised a lot of things, tried to turn around the program and we're just, we're not able to, to, to turn it around. They, they, and, and so you had this kind of the stench of defeat that just constantly hung in the air. Um, and so, and then Jerry Kill comes in from Kansas um, and does everything that probably every other coach did before. We're going to get this turned around. We're going to outwork people. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to put this thing back, uh, back on the map. And then we lose, we go one in 10. So we beat, um, now I was redshirted that year, but we lost 10 games, which was, I think twice the amount of games that I lost my entire life at Liberty high school uh, in Liberty high school. And the only team that we beat was the second worst team in the conference. I think it was Illinois state at the time. And we beat them by like three points. I mean, we, we were terrible and anybody could look at coach Keel and go, well, here's another guy that's, that can't get the job done. And then fast forward to that Western game. Here, Western, in the midst of all that, we had an 18-game losing streak with Western Illinois, the longest losing streak in the country to a team. They were nationally ranked, and they come in, and we beat them in, in the way that we beat them. Um, and finally, I could just – you could sense it in the locker room after the game – that people started to look at coach kill differently and they started to believe it's like, that's when the, the flame was lit. That's when the belief started um, that man, maybe this crazy coach from Kansas, maybe he actually knows what he's talking about. And maybe that long haired quarterback out of Missouri, maybe he can actually, you know, help us win a game. I mean, I think that's when people started to really believe in coach kill and believe in each other. And, um, and then of course, just the actual game is just totally nuts. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just a remarkable game. Uh, outside of seeing the clips now, I mean, you never saw that ball land in your receiver's hand to win the game, right? No. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, how, how, where do you start, right? So first of all, we go up on Western Illinois and the thing that the guys, the, the seniors that used to talk about all the time, especially during that 2001 season, is we had a phrase, and it was, we got salukied. And what that meant was, is we found a way to lose a game. And I would hear some of the older guys talking about it, like Youngstown State, oh, man, we got salukied that game. So-and-so fumbled the ball in the last two minutes. There was two um, – uh, stupid penalties. I mean, we, we were constantly finding ways to lose the game. So now we're playing Western Illinois. Like I said, I haven't beat them in 18 years. And we go up on these guys. And then sure enough, we're starting 
to get Saluki. We're starting to find a way to lose this game. And like, and at the end of the game, there was penalties. There, there was, they actually, one of the fans was, um, um, uh, uh, had one of those big, uh, you know, loudspeaker uh, horn sort of things. I can't remember what they're called, but it, so the referee called a penalty on a fan. Okay. <laughs> like it was just the coach kill had to go out and the referee had this little like microphone, you know, the one that the old school mics like had to like lean over into this guy's chest and like beg the fans to not, you know, hit the horn anymore. I mean, it was just this crazy game, and but the last minute, instead of finding a way to lose, we marched right down the field. We had the worst two-minute. I mean, when I look at that game, I cringe at how bad our two-minute offense was. We had a delay of game on the very <laughs> – we had, we had, a, we had a, at one point we were fourth and 20, and I was able to uh, hit Brandon Robinson um, – and on a on a big conversion, and then we get all the way down to the four four yard line, and um, coach calls a play, and it's a rollout play, and I had a couple options, and I just recall as I was scanning the field on that two minute drive, you know, reading the defense, there were fans like trying to scale the fence to get into the stadium. And what in the midst of like that 2000 and 2001, what I think what people kind of forget is, is, and why this game is so important is that a big point of pride for Salukis was we were a big college or a big uh, party school. Right. And, um, and so I would always hear about how, um, uh, how people would brag that there would be more fans outside the stadium than inside the stadium. And we always heard that as players and we saw it and this was homecoming. So we were playing a homecoming game is our biggest crowd. And there were twice as many fans outside of the stadium as inside the stadium. So as the game goes on, more and more fans start to come into the game. They see that we're being competitive and then we start finding a way to lose. And then we start, we get on that, uh, uh, that last drive. And like I said, I'd be scanning the field and I could see people seeing us drive down the field, falling over the fence. Like they're trying to get into the stadium to see what happens. And so on that last play of the game, uh, I roll out and just, it felt like it just took forever and ever. And Brandon Robinson and I, we had never rehearsed it that way, but it just like, we were just one of mind at that point. And he just kind of, I had no more room to run. I had to get rid of the ball. And as soon as I threw it, he just slid a little bit to his right, right behind the, right behind the defender. I got probably the, I took the worst hit I probably taken in my career. I got smoked, landed on the track. At that time we had the track around the field. I got hit so hard. I went over the sideline on the track and I just heard the crowd go wild. And that's when the fans started rushing the field. I had people like lifting me up, putting me on my shoulders. I mean, it was just one of those incredible games that we actually found a way to win. And I think that's why people in and around the program, when they think about the importance of the game, it's we have beaten bigger opponents. We've beaten better teams. 
But in the midst of everything going on, man, we found a way to win. And I think that's what spurred the confidence moving forward that, man, this coach knows what he's talking about. We can actually go win some games. So you compare that game to, say, you know, beating a number one Western Kentucky team the following year. Is, is the Western win bigger in your mind? I think from a program standpoint, we could not um, have – I don't think we're winning that Western Kentucky game if we're not winning the Western Illinois game. I should have clarified, by the way. They're both Western. <laughs> the Western <laughs> the, the Western Illinois game, is that one more important in your mind than the Western Kentucky win? They were number one yeah. in the country. Yeah, for all the reasons I just stated, I, I, I think the Western Illinois game is more important. But the Western Kentucky game is probably my favorite. You know, they were number one, I think, in the country. Um, and we were and on the road. To, you get to call the shot at the end. That's, that's probably why it's part of your – one of your favorites, right? Yeah. I mean, it was just, a you know, this, the two minute drive was fun. I mean, it, you know, it's stuff that as a quarterback, you dream about it's stuff that I was uh, rehearsing in my backyard growing up, you know, Joe Montana was my favorite quarterback. I still remember the morning that I heard on the radio that the Kansas city chiefs had signed Joe Montana. Um, you know, that's what you live for as a quarterback is was what what can you be like in the two minute drill? And Joe Joe Montana was my favorite. Um, and so, yeah, the Western Kentucky game, we had a very pivotal point early uh, in that drive. Um, and, um, you know, I think it's the first time in my entire career I basically vetoed Coach Kill, which is pretty, um, pretty. Well, I, I, it's fascinating, the love and respect that I have with him, that, that I was able to uh, find the courage in that moment to uh, – he wanted to run a play. It was fourth and two. Um, you know, obviously got to get the first down to keep the drive going. And he and I just said, Coach, let's run this. And he and I had a nice little conversation, heated one. And I said, run this play. And it was just a naked bootleg. I just knew – that that I could get around the edge and I knew that they were going to be keen on our running back and and coach had the trust um to, uh, in me to allow me to make that call got the first down uh and uh, I think it was either the next play or the play after that we we uh yeah we encouraged coach to to call the post uh to Brent Little and uh and you know one of the most fun things looking back on my career, it's, it's not, it's not just when the crowd goes wild, when you score a touchdown, like Western Illinois, last play of the game, it's when you score a touchdown and you hear silence that that's the, that's the most fun. Um, and they had their band in that, in that end zone. And they were, again, this was on ESPN, number one team in the country and you, you, couldn't, you couldn't hear anything. And I threw that ball and it was dead silence. And, and, and it was just truly one of the most fun moments of my life when it comes to Saluki football. I, I'm guessing coach kill was okay with the veto since the result was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know that? Yes. Yeah. He was good with it. I mean, I think uh, that, you know, you talked earlier about how do you, how do you get people to trust you? Well, I think at that point in time, you know, I had earned that 
that trust from Coach Kill. And if we're not beating the Western Illinois, if we're not beating the Northern Iowa's, if we're not turning around and 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 putting together, you know, wins, you know, I don't have that ability to to do that. And 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 you know, listen, the best thing that that coaches want is a quarterback that they really trust on offense that because that quarterback's going to see things that nobody else is going to see. And so you got to have that dialogue. You got to have moments of, of, of friction. You got to, and, and, uh, and, but in those moments, are you going to trust each other? Am I going to trust the coach kill is going to put me in the right position? Is coach going to trust me in big moments that I'm seeing something maybe that he's not. And, um, and I think that's, you know, obviously very important. I'm curious on this with your relationship with coach kill, uh, you know, you, you guys obviously have tremendous respect for each other. He goes on after SIU, NIU, uh, then a bigger step at Minnesota. When you're sitting on your couch watching, say, a Minnesota game, I mean, what are you, what are you thinking about of the tra- trajectory of, of Coach Kill's career and the impact that you had on some of the places he got to go because of the success he had in Carbondale? Yeah, I'm just super proud, you know. Um, proud to feel, uh, feel like I'm a small part of that. Um, he drives me nuts when I watch the game and I think, oh, he's about to run this play. And I knew it. I'm like, coach, come on. You know, we talked about not running that play that, you know, that, didn't, that play didn't work at Southern. Why are we going to run this there? You know, so it's just a different perspective, but ultimately, I mean, I love, I love him and Rebecca. They're like a, they're like a father and mother figure for me. They, you know, my parents kind of handed me off to them and they, um, and, and, and they, you know, really helped me go from being that, that, that uh, immature high school kid in Liberty, Missouri, to becoming a man um, and, and, and leader of, of football and team. And so that's, that's because of the investment that they've made in my life. And so seeing them go on and have success, but also seeing them have struggle is, has a profound impact on me. I mean, seeing coach kill struggle with epilepsy, which has become very real in our family's life um, uh, as a result of of, uh, my youngest child, Theodore, which I'm sure we'll probably get into, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was, so excited when he, when he won, I would, would every year I'd go fly in or find a way to go see a game uh, with him. One thing about coach kill is he doesn't forget the people that were in his path uh, along, along the way with him. He's always excited to see people, whether it's in, in, in Cheney, Kansas, or whether it's at SIU or Northern, or, I mean, he loves seeing people that helped him get, uh, to where he was at. And so, um, and, and yeah, so that, that's awesome. And I love that. And I love, but I also was really, you know, really saddened to see, uh, him have to retire really saddened, um, uh, cause he's a young guy and, um, that, that he had to, to step away from the, the game at that level when he really was at the peak of his career and had many more years ahead of him. And so, you know, that, that was, um, challenging as you can imagine as well. 